So tonight I wanted to introduce our speakers. Uh, um, Steve and Julie currently serve as missionaries on the University of Oregon campus. Um, it, they're uh, incredible because it's really hard to share Christ, okay, anywhere. And it's especially hard on a university campus, you know, because if you remember when you were in college, it's just not is there all kinds of different ideas. You're seeking, you're searching, you're trying to find yourself, much less faith or religion. And so um, I'm so thankful to have them share tonight. They also, before that, they, were, they spent 10 years as church planters and missionaries to the Netherlands. So they got an incredible, cool story. So hang out with them afterwards. I'm sure they love to connect with you. And uh, Steve just got a great story of hope. And I invited him to come tonight and share and just encourage us all tonight. So Steve, why don't you come on up? Well, let's give Steve a hand as he joins us tonight. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Nails. Happy Easter. I was thinking this might be the first time I've ever been a missionary speaker on Easter. So this is really an honor. Uh, for us, and I want to introduce my administrative assistant here, uh, my lovely wife. We've been married for uh, almost 14 years. Man, I almost forgot for a second. You don't want to forget how many years you've been married. That's I'll be sleeping on the couch. Anybody been there ever? Not on my couch, but on my couch somewhere. So that's my wife, Julie, and uh, really God's blessing to me. Just incredible. Well, I got some good news. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Amen. I don't know about you, but man, Easter has always, it's always been my favorite holiday. I just love it. And uh, especially the older I get, I, I appreciate it even more, just the, the reality that Jesus is alive. And uh, it is true, we are missionaries to the University of Oregon. We are uh, directors of a ministry called Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship. And I didn't check beforehand, but I, I can't imagine there would be any Beaver fans in the room, right? That's, they're typically not saved, and so that's who we're trying to reach. And also Rocket fans, Houston fans, actually, we're trying to reach as well, but that's a work in progress. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I uh, hadn't met your pastor, but just talking on the phone, we were, man, I love a passionate person for the things of God, and just a down-to-earth, real person. You're really blessed. And uh, even in our even in our limited interaction, and uh, just just great to hear what God is doing here. Um, we spent yeah ten years in the Netherlands. We have two kids, uh, Case and Salem. I think yeah our pictures up there. They uh, we were bringing them tonight, and then we had we met my parents for lunch in Salem, and my parents said, "Can we can we take the kids with us?" And so uh, my wife, you know, was like, no, I want to chase the kids around during the service. You know, no, no, she didn't say that at all. So this is the first date we've had in a year, okay? So we held hands during worship. We were hoping that it would go a little longer than it did. And, uh, but um, we'll have a nice dinner afterwards with you guys. And so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's great to be here, guys. Um, tonight I'm going to share a little bit of my story. And uh, before I get, get into that, though, I want to ask, you know, how many people in the room believe that God is able to do the impossible? Do you believe that? I'll tell you what, I believe God loves to do the impossible. In fact, I believe God would love nothing more than to do the impossible tonight. You know, in Ephesians 3.20, says that God is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine and then it goes on to say this, and many times people skip over this, or they just stop right there. 
It says, according, according to his power, his power that work within us. You know, elsewhere it says that the power that works within us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I'll tell you what, that truth right there, that truth right there has changed my life. You're going to hear a little bit about that tonight. When I was born, I was born two and a half months premature, three pounds. was never supposed to walk. Doctors came in, they told my parents that if I ever even lived, and I'll give away my age, 1973. So the, I think this was like the disco era or just before the disco era, you know, I couldn't miss that. But medical technology was not what it is today. And so they said, if you live, you're never going to get married, never going to be productive, certainly never going to walk. In fact, things were so desperate for me that uh, to get, and I, I didn't believe, I've, I've confirmed this story all over because it just seems so crazy to me. But I was in the premium ward, Sacramento, California. And to keep me breathing, they tie a string to one of my toes and they pull on the string to get me breathing again. So I always like to say my life was hanging on by a thread. You know, that's one of my uh, cheesy pastor jokes. There'll be more. But uh, around a year of age, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, which is brain damage that occurs when you have a lack of oxygen that gets to your brain. What most people would say would be an impossible situation. I spent months in the hospital. Surgeries would happen where I would have body casts. My parents would take me camping. They loved the outdoors. They'd take me camping. They'd just prop me up against a pine tree, you know, and they'd leave me there. And uh, no, they wouldn't leave me there for very long, but you get the point. Life just kind of went on, but then as a kid, you don't really know. You don't really know what's normal, you know. And I remember going to school, and kids would throw rocks at me. And even though my name's Stephen, I didn't want to be a martyr for Jesus at a young age, you know. They'd throw rocks at me, and uh, I'd get out of a wheelchair. What would happen is I'd take a couple steps and, you know, inevitably fall and get back up, have another surgery, and the whole process would start all over again. But you know, an interesting thing that, that, that happened, and, and I just want to say this, that if you're believing God for a miracle, don't stop believing, you know, because my wife even said this, and she could, she could confirm this, that when she knew me 14 years ago, she said, I've straightened up even since then, that God is doing things. She, she said, you used to, you know, just the way I used to walk, she's seeing a progressive miracle in my body. I don't know why it doesn't happen all the time instantaneously. I've certainly prayed for that, and I'll talk a little bit more about my story tonight in regards to that. But I just feel encouraged that, you know, if it doesn't happen overnight, keep praying. Keep trusting. And, and my, my prayer really in my life is that I believe God for the impossible until I draw my final breath. And, you know, somebody once said that prayers don't have an expiration date. And it's amazing. There are prayers I prayed as a single person. I graduated from University of Oregon. I was a TV news anchor reporter for CBS. And I actually transferred out of the University of Oregon to go to Bible college. My plan was to, uh, to meet a girl, you know, get married. Sorry, honey. That, that didn't come for a while. But, and then I actually transferred back to the University of Oregon. And, you know, there were prayers that I prayed in my dorm room as a freshman Listening to Keith Green, anybody remember Keith Green? You know, Keith Green, crying, lonely, and God is answering those prayers today. He's answering those prayers today. One of the prayers I used to pray, and I was hoping he'd come tonight. I have a friend who was, he played with Mariota on the, the national championship team, and he said, Steve, the athletes 
at the University of Oregon. They need Jesus. And I think that Chi Alpha and what you're doing, making disciples, could really make a difference. And so God just miraculously opened doors, you know, at, at the University of Nike, you know, you know, Nike down there. It's a tight community, very hard to get in. Every week I have to have somebody scan me in. You know, I, sometimes I knock on the big window of the Jocko Center, down the big glass building for athletes, and I knock on the door and I just stand there. They're like, he's not an athlete, we're not letting him in. You know, then somebody goes, oh, let him in, we know him. You know, so it's just been neat to see what God's doing. Who would have thought my wildest dreams? But that was a prayer I prayed 25 years ago. Lord, help me reach the Duck athletes. And then we have 40 students meeting on a Thursday night, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the university pool, and growing in their relationship with Christ. These are prayers that prayed long ago and prayers that I haven't even prayed and prayers that I thought, quite honestly, were impossible. But God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Amen? So tonight... I want to read, I want to start out, I want to start out by reading our text tonight, and the title of my message tonight is, is just kind of a funny one, but I just feel like the Lord wanted me to share it. It's, what do we do, what do we do when life doesn't happen as planned? What do we do when life doesn't happen as planned? Anybody ever experienced that? You get, you guys look like you have it all together, really, actually. That never happens, right? Just to me, I guess. Um, what do we do when life doesn't happen as planned? And what I want to do tonight is just briefly share some key things. People ask me all the time, how do you get through life with a permanent disability, with joy, a smile? And I can honestly tell you that I've come to the point where I felt like cerebral palsy while it didn't come from God. It's been one of the biggest blessings in my life. How do you get to that point? It's not an easy journey. I'm 45 years old, and it's, it's, it's a lesson I'm still learning. But I want to share with you just some very practical things for when life doesn't happen as planned. Let's read tonight Luke 7, 18 through 23. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know, at first glance, the story is really surprising to me because here you have John the Baptist, this mighty, powerful, fiery prophet of God. And he's in prison, and he comes with a question that I think everyone in this room come with at certain times in our life, and it's this, God, why? God, why? Why is this happening? What do we do when life doesn't happen as planned? Clearly, John the Baptist and his disciples are in a season of doubt. Anybody ever been there? 
That's, I, think, I think we all go there, maybe even some multiple times a day. You're, you feel confident, and then you don't feel confident. You know, a few chapters earlier in Luke 3, we're told that John the Baptist was boldly proclaiming the kingdom. He was introducing the Messiah. We know he's baptizing Jesus. He wasn't afraid to take on the religious leaders of the time. Luke 3, 19 through 20 says that he was even confronting Herod about uh, marrying his brother's wife, and so he was thrown into prison. Life wasn't going as planned for John the Baptist. How many people know that standing up for, for God and righteousness, it's not always an easy thing to do. It's not always going to go your way. You know, at University of Oregon, we have people come up to our outreach table and cuss us out sometimes. Most of the time, people are responsive, you know, but uh, following Jesus requires boldness, and sometimes that's not popular. The Bible says that we're either the fragrance of Christ or the odor of death. You know, I think we forget that, you know, and that's where John the Baptist was. He had done everything right, and maybe tonight you feel like you're doing everything right. You've been hanging on to the promises of God, and yet you're in a proverbial prison. And you've got something that you don't feel you deserve. You know, John the Baptist was in the center of the will of God and was doing what he should be doing. I think most of us probably have a strong belief that if we do good, bad things shouldn't happen to us. Can I just be vulnerable with you guys tonight? Can I be real and honest? I'm just sharing. That's how I feel. I don't know about you, but I feel like if I do the right things, if I do the formula, blessing should follow, Right? I think a lot of times we have a, a wrong expectation of what life should look like. Luke 7, 18 and 19 again says, John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? You know, John the Baptist had been in prison many months. He was probably wondering, Hey, didn't Jesus say something about setting the captives free back in Luke 4? Well, of course, he didn't know about Luke 4. It hadn't been written yet. But, you know, didn't I remember Jesus saying that he came, one of his his main things of his ministry was he was going to set captives free. Many times in my life, the promises of God are not fulfilled in the way or in the timing that I want them to be. Do I get an amen? Anybody nod your head and say, yes, that's true. If not, we're going to talk after, and I'm going to figure out the, the problem. You know, even with the strongest, even those with the strongest faith struggle, I think of Moses, Elijah, the Apostle Paul, even if you know who Johnny Erickson is, you know. I remember meeting her as a teenager. She was paralyzed at a young age, been in a wheelchair her whole life. Tremendous faith, tremendous encourager. But you know what? She was honest when I met her. She said, it's, it's going to be tough, Steve, living life with a disability. But the reality of it is the older I get, the more I realize everybody in this room, it's going to be tough. We all have our struggle, and you can't really even compare them. They're all very difficult. You're going through things tonight that I could not imagine going through. You know, at, at, around the age of 9, 10, well, it's a question I asked a lot, but my dad was was tucking me in one night, and I used to have to have uh, night splints put on my legs to keep them straight. 
And uh, a couple days before, we had gone to a healing crusade, kind of a service for where healings had occurred. And I, one thing you need to know is, while I walk with a limp, I believe that absolutely 100% that God could heal me at any moment. And no matter what you're facing, God can heal you at any moment. I don't, I don't try and explain away with theology that says God can't heal in a moment. I prayed with a lady once. She got healed of cancer on her nose over the phone. You know, I've seen miracles. And I had seen miracles as a kid. I didn't understand why if God loved me, why was he healing me? And so I asked my dad a question that night I'll never forget. Strapping my splints on. And I said, Dad... If God loves me, if God loves me, then why isn't he healing me? And now as a dad, my son's 10, about the same age I was, I can't imagine. I get those questions sometimes, and I'm just kind of speechless. And I remember my dad looking down with eyes full of love. and His eyes were kind of watery. And he said, Steve, he said, I, I don't know. I don't know. And you know, let me say this, that I think we run into so much trouble many times when we try to answer questions that we don't have the answers to. I think people see right through that. I, I probably led more people to Christ by saying, I don't know, but I'm here for you in your woundedness than trying to give them a theological answer. But you know, he didn't just stop there either because if you just said, I don't know, good night, son, pancakes in the morning, Turn out the lights. That's depressing, man. That's not the answer either. He said, I don't know, but then he said this. But God is good. But God is good. And I'd love to be able to tell you that that just calmed and assured me and everything was fine, you know, until now. But, it, you know, but there was something there. And the whole foundation of my experience with God is this, is really I don't know a lot of things. And I even have a master's in theology, and I learned I, I don't even know, I don't know a lot more. Even with the degree, I learned, I learned I don't know a lot more. But I know this, God is good. God is good. As we look at this passage and see Jesus' response to the question of John's disciples, he didn't chastise them for unbelief. You know, one of the great Christian writers, Oswald Chambers, said this, Doubt, doubt is not always a sign that man is wrong. It might be a sign that he is thinking. Let me read that again. Doubt is not always a sign that man is wrong. It might be a sign that he is thinking. Now, I think we need to make a distinction. Doubt is a matter of the mind, kind of the why question. Unbelief, unbelief, which we don't want, is a decision of the will. That's when you begin to question the character of God. So I think it's perfectly fine to say, God, why? I don't understand. But you don't want to slip off into unbelief and say, well, if this is going to happen, God's not good. I would encourage you, my first point tonight, when life doesn't happen as planned, be honest with God. Be honest with God. Man, I'm telling you, University of Oregon, 24,000 students who are desperate for someone to be honest with them. They are desperate 
for honesty. Be honest with God. Now, some people come up to me and they say, oh, man, I was honest with God. I cussed him out. I yelled at him. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. You know, he's still God. That makes me a little nervous. You know, like, uh, be honest with God, but recognize he is God. You know, this is a relationship. It's... Let's read, you know, we like to talk about, I'm going to talk about David for a second in the Bible. He wrote the Psalms and a book of songs, right, worship songs. And we like to talk about him as David the worshiper, the king, the giant killer. But many times in the Psalms, in fact, maybe most of the time, we see David the doubter. David the doubter. Listen to this worship song, if you will, from Psalm 77. And tell me if maybe you've ever cried this out at night, tear-stained pillow. I know I have. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated. My spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Have you ever had nights of sleeplessness where you're almost writhing in pain because in your spirit you're just so unsettled? Maybe anxiety is just taking over. You know, 62% of college freshmen now, they say, come into the university with anxiety-related diseases that they have to be medicated for. They also say that the average college freshman has the same level of as anxiety as a 1950s psychiatric patient. And I'd be a fool to think that it's just freshmen at the University of Oregon. It's you and me. We have nights like this. And the first thing, and I love what Pastor Neil said, I, I don't know if that was choreographed, but what he said about being real. Let me tell you something. Can we be real? Can we be honest with God? Can we be secure enough in our faith to say, look, I don't know, but I know because I've been through some tough stuff that God is good. See, I believe that just like the Psalms, pain can cause some of our most beautiful expressions of worship to God. You can take your problems to the bar, to the bottle, to an affair, fill in the blank, whatever you would take it to escape to. But I think God is pleased and honored when we come to him, even on our darkest night, and we say, God, I don't understand. Where are you, God? Where are you? Be honest with God. That's the first thing to do when life hasn't happened as planned. That's, that's the thing that's gotten me through. Secondly, how can we deal with doubts and questions? Let's look back at what Jesus did in verses 21 through 23 of chapter 7. He said at that very time, Jesus, remember this is the big answer to this question that we all ask. 
how did Jesus respond? And I love how Jesus responded. He said, it says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know, Jesus can at times appear to be so insensitive. My kids hate when I do this stuff. My son, hey, can I play basketball? He loves basketball. Can I play basketball? Can I go to the basketball court? And I'm like, you know, how's that book you're reading? You know, hey, did you clean your room? He gets offended, like, hey, are you even listening to me? And I, I kind of feel like this here, like, Jesus, are you even listening to the most important question? This is your cousin. Remember the guy who baptized you and his disciples, and he's in prison right now eating a prison meal while you're out enjoying freedom and seeing the miraculous. It's so interesting to me that Jesus does not want to answer the questions we want to answer. And yet, sometimes he'll answer questions that we didn't even know we had. And he certainly does not do it in the timing that we want. I remember, and I don't share this story very often, being very vulnerable tonight, but I just feel led to share it. You know, for, from 18 to 31, I was single, I was a bachelor, I was skinny because I didn't cook very well. I still don't cook very well, but I gained like 30 pounds in the first six months of marriage, you know. But I had this big season of singleness where I, I wanted to marry the woman God had for me. You know, let's get on with things. And I remember dating a girl for a couple months. And uh, we went down to the river, and this is in Missouri. Went down to the river, and there were some rocks. And I had to kind of lean on her arm to get down to the river. And when I got down to the river, she was very quiet. And I remember saying to her, I said, is there something wrong? She said, Steve, she says, I, I don't think I can live with somebody my whole life who has a disability. And man, it was like my biggest insecurity that I'd had. You know, everybody has them in this room. Everybody has that one thing that you're like, Oh, please don't ever say that. I remember thinking, can I jump in the river here and there's a waterfall? I'll just swim down river and see what ends up. And I actually had to lean on her arm to get back out of there. And then I drove to her parents' house, packed all my stuff. I loved her family, everything. Packed all this stuff up, and I drove three hours back to Springfield, Missouri, sobbing like I've never sobbed before because I felt like, man, Lord, this is my worst nightmare. And yet, when I met my wife, I still get emotional about it because before we got engaged, I had one question to ask her. How can you live with a person who's disabled the rest of your life? That was risky. You know what she said? She said, Steve, I love you more because of what cerebral palsy has made you as a man. I love you more because of your disability. And that was probably the most freeing Things. But see, in the moment when I'm driving back to Springfield, Missouri, man, I thought my life was over. This is where some people just drive off a bridge. They, they give up all hope. Some of us in this room have already given up hope because of something that happened 20 years ago. And you've never been able to talk to God honestly. 
You're just going through the motions. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're wounded. Can I tell you something tonight? This is my second point. We need to fix our focus. Fix our focus. Let me tell you something. This is probably the most powerful thing that I could teach you tonight. When we go through dark times in life and face questions and doubts, we need to focus our attention on what God is doing rather than what we think he's not doing. Did you hear what I said? When we're going through those dark times, we need to focus our attention on what God is doing rather than what he's not doing. Listen, there are enough issues in life where you could get really down really fast. We have this, my wife and I had this situation yesterday. We're just kind of meditating, worrying on the, you know, focusing on the wrong thing. And pretty soon we're kind of like feeling down like, oh man, what is God doing? And, and then we've just learned to stop that conversation. Okay, we're honest with God. Man, this is a tough spot we're in. What do we do? And we begin to thank God for what he is doing. We ended up having the evening and watching a movie with the kids. And it was one of the best nights we've had in a long time. You know why? Because we switched the conversation. We switched what we were meditating on. Some of us in this room have been meditating and playing a tape over and a memory and an experience over and over and over when you have so much to be thankful for. It's kind of a joke, maybe for disabled people, I don't know, and their spouses, but Julie always teases me that there are people that overcome more than I have, you know? Like Nick Wojcik, the guy with no arms, no legs. Or We kind of make a joke about it, like there's a guy that climbed Mount Kilimanjaro on stubs, you know, his legs, and, you know, and I, I, it's, it's kind of a joke that we do. It's kind of a weird, I admit, it's kind of a weird joke, you know? It's like, you wouldn't do this unless you loved each other, but, you know... I always joke, yeah, I got to step up my game, you know. Somebody swam across the Pacific Ocean with no arms and legs. How does that happen? You know, I just have cerebral palsy. But the point of it is, is I have a lot to be thankful for. I have a lot to be thankful for. All you have to do is look around. You'll find somebody who's worse off than you. When we go through dark times in life and face questions and doubts, we need to focus our attention on what God is doing rather than what we think he's not doing. Let's go back to Psalm 77 because that was kind of depressing. David writhing around in pain, can't be comforted. But then, you know, and the, the great thing, I don't know if you know this, but some of those psalms are written by, not by David himself, but he commissioned a worship director, Asaph was his name, to write these psalms. And so... Uh, I don't know how many CDs they'd sell on K-Love or anything, or, you know, or, or whatever, but th that psalm continues on. Remember, it's very desperate, and it goes to say this. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I'll remember your miracles of long ago. I'll consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God? is as great as our God. You're the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. Do you see what happened there? David went from a place of absolute darkness and desperation, and he decided, I'm going to change the subject of my mind. I'm going to be, begin to recount all the things God's done because he's been faithful. How many people could raise your hand tonight and say, God has been so faithful to you, so faithful to you. He's been so faithful to me. 
when we first got married, a good practice in life. I highly recommend it. But we got a black journal. And we call it, you know, we gave it a grand name, so I had to live up to it. Book of Miracles, right? And every time God came through for us in life, and we knew it was God, we began to write down the date in just a simple, this is what God did. And the book is about halfway full now. Can I tell you something that when someday when we pass away and we hand off stuff to our kids or grandkids, that will be the most prized possession? A book of miracles. A book of God's faithfulness. Are you recording God's faithfulness? Do you spend half as much time as thinking on the negative? All the things God's done in your life. So that's the second thing. Fix your focus. So be honest with God. And you'll find yourself in one of these three places tonight. I'm, I'm at one of these three places and maybe a couple of them. Be honest with God. Fix your focus. Fix your focus. And then the last point tonight. Choose trust over clarity. You know this verse, this story, <laughs> it just kind of cracks me up. I mean, in a weird kind of way. Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Yet he just did something that would make you stumble. Like he didn't answer their question. He points to what he's doing, but he doesn't do it for John the Baptist. And then he says, by the way, don't get offended. Does that seem crazy to anybody else? I mean, it's, I marvel at this stuff. And so I did a little digging. And the word offended here is where we get the English word scandalize, which means it's like an illustration like this. It's a bait stick in a trap. So you know, remember how the mountain men, they used to capture raccoons and things in a, in a stick and a trap. And, and that's what the enemy wants to do in life. He's going to whisper, hey, you have cerebral palsy. Hey, your marriage, you married the wrong person. Hey, you're, you're not employed, you loser. You know, these are the voices we hear. This, this is the bait trap of the enemy. Like a little stick and he puts a little bait in there. What he loves to do is have you question the character of God, whether he's good, whether you can trust him. And, and doesn't that sound familiar? That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really say? And we have the choice. Do we take the bait of offense or do we not? You know, somebody said, kind of cliche, but when we're faced with offense in life, we either get bitter or we get better. And what I'm finding more and more, more, you know, it's amazing. You think you graduate. You think, oh, I finally trust God. He came through for me. That was amazing what he did. You know, we see that a lot as missionaries. We need to raise budgets and we have financial challenges and we finally get to the mission field. And it's incredible because, you know, the next financial need, a, a bill that, you know, electric bill that's high. Oh, how are we going to pay it? You know, so quickly forgetting God's provision and faithfulness all along the way. Don't fall for the, the bait of offense. There's a story that I love, a brief story, and I'm going to read it. It comes from the life of Mother Teresa about the importance of trust. Yeah, see, especially as Americans, it's interesting. If you travel the world, you learn some things that Americans are great at. Just so thankful to be an American, by the way. 
and I've lived all over the world, many countries, have family members, sisters from China that were adopted. I mean, there's a lot of great places in this world. I'm glad to be an American. I want to say that. But one thing Americans struggle with is we are hooked on uh, easing suffering at all costs. You know, just watch commercials. It's all pharmaceuticals. We just had a Dutch couple with us, and they're, like, trying to read the fine print. You know, like, wait, this drug will cause you to commit suicide, but it heals your uh, heartburn? Like, what, what's going on here? You know, I'm like, it's America. God bless America. You know? And, uh, but we're also hooked on clarity. Like, we want to get it all figured out. Some cultures aren't really like that. They're a little more easygoing. I know I'm hooked on clarity. I want to know God's plan for my life. Look at the books we have. You know, Purpose Driven Life, Your Best Life Now. Boom, 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 boom. This is what God is going to do in your life, guaranteed, if you just do these steps. But that's very problematic, isn't it? Because nobody in this room has the life you thought you were going to have when you were five years old on the monkey bars in kindergarten. You know what I mean? So listen to this story. When John Cavanaugh, the noted and famous ethicist, went to Calcutta, he was seeking Mother Teresa and more. He went there for three months to work at the House of the Dying to find out how best he could spend the rest of his life. When he met Mother Teresa, he asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for? She replied. He then uttered the request. He had carried thousands of miles. Clarity. Pray that I have clarity. No, Mother Teresa answered, I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh said that she, was always, she always seemed to have clarity, the very kind of clarity he was looking for, Mother Teresa laughed and said, I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. I've never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. And it's amazing when you get ready to preach a sermon. But you know what my wife and I, my conversation coming up here was today? Was about this very thing. That you know what? We've been hooked on clarity. We've been hooked on the path. We've been hooked on trying to get it done in our own efforts. And what God is saying, I'm not going to give you all the answers. But I want you to trust me. And living with cerebral palsy or living whatever you live with, maybe it's a, a tough marriage, maybe it's a tough job, maybe it's a medical diagnosis, there's a good chance that you'll have to do exactly what I've had to do even coming up here tonight is just keep walking. Keep walking. No matter what, everything around is happening, you just keep walking. And it's one step at a time and then another step. And then another step, and I hate to remind you of this, but tomorrow's, you know, Monday morning after a holiday. That's another big step. Get out of bed. Keep breathing. Keep going. But be honest with God. Fix your focus on what is good. And choose trust over clarity.